Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. G'day guys, Steve Hort here. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Today I'm with an absolute legend within the health and wellness industry. He's a well-known chiropractor, naturopath and presenter. He co-hosts podcasts such as The Wellness Guys and 100 Not Out. He's a successful entrepreneur and inspiration to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, including yours truly. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Damien Christoph. <laughs> How are you, mate? Great, mate. Stevie, thanks for having me on here, mate. Oh, mate, it's my absolute pleasure. So nice. <laughs> As I was saying off air, it was sort of the little schoolgirl moment. You know, I've been following you for years, and then to actually get the opportunity to talk to you today, it's, yeah. it's amazing. That's amazing. That's classic. That's so funny. <laughs> and then I see this photo of you jumping off a building in KL. I'm like, oh, man. Like, you're the... <laughs> How's the stuff you're doing? That looks incredible. So, yeah. No, thank you so much for having me on here. It's a pleasure. Awesome, buddy. Thank you. So uh, we're just hanging out in the chiropractic clinic at the moment, actually, yeah. of all places, I one know. of our mutual friends uh, in the lovely suburb of Manly, Australia. Ravi. Let's put it out there, put it out there. What a great chiropractor, great mate of mine. And uh, we're in here and, you know, talking about the flow zone, this place has got some serious flow. You walk into this and you just feel calm. So it's nice. Thanks, Ravi, for letting us have this place. It's terrific. (laughs) Cheers, Ravi. You're a legend, mate. Um, And look, so I'm really excited about attending uh, Damo's Power of Food presentation this evening. Uh, Unfortunately, I missed out on your stress, uh, crack your stress code earlier this year, which is quite disappointing. I've heard, I've seen online you're an amazing presenter. Thanks, mate. Um, So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to tonight and uh, catching up with some epic, like-minded people. You want to just give us a lowdown on... Yeah, well, look, um, the first seminar that you missed out on is called Crack Your Stress Code. And Crack Your Stress Code delves into um, what stress actually is, um, how to recognise stress in your body, and then what the effect of stress is on your body because everybody's different and uh, and then understanding the effect of stress on your nutrigenomic or your epigenomic um i suppose programming uh, of your own gene you know gene sequence so sure and so could we just for everybody myself included neutrogenomic yes. and epigenomic epigenomic yeah yeah, yeah epi meaning above yes. so outside of and so your epigenomic um control comes from your thoughts your emotions your environment um, and nutrition or nutrigenomic is one influencer of your epigenome or your genome. And so our thing is the understanding of the different types of things that can influence your, uh, your genes and stress. And I'm talking physical stress, chemical stress and emotional stress because they all affect the body in exactly the same way. When you have physical stress or emotional or chemical stress, then that will be affecting the way in which your genes are read and then how you program your life. And okay. so we talk about that in Crack Your Stress Code. That's awesome, buddy. And it is that, um, that holistic approach to health, isn't it? It's not just about looking at that nutrition or looking at how much sleep you get, you know. If you're, uh, you get 12 hours of sleep a night, you turn your laptop or your iPad off, but you get up and have Maccas for yeah. breakfast <laughs> and then right. go and sit on the couch for the next 
eight hours or your waking life, it's it's not working, is it? Yeah, no, it's definitely not working, and that's what we're talking about tonight. So we're talking about uh, the power of food. Mm-hmm. Um, but the power of food, interestingly, is based on philosophy. And the, one of the things you'll find, Steve, that I've found at least, is that there's nothing in nutrition uh, in terms of diets uh, or in terms of eating programs or lifestyles that revolve around food that is 100% set in stone, correct, true for every single person on the planet. So what we know about nutrition is that there's fruits and vegetables, there's proteins and fats, um, there's other things that might be deemed to be you know, more carbohydrate-dense like grains and pulses and legumes, um, but they're going to have amino acids as well. But there's not one eating program that suits everybody, and every single eating program is a theory. There's, there's no true science to say that one way is the only way to do it. And so tonight we're applying philosophy to food, and, and that's the best. Because when you apply a life philosophy or a, a lifestyle philosophy to the food that you put into your body, you will feel a difference um, without being on a diet. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's amazing, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I really like how you highlight there is no one way of eating, right? So... Um it's. I mean, I know you follow more sort of paleo-inspired lifestyle. I would say primal. Pro, yeah, primal, yeah, perfect, yeah. So primal. And I sat down with Mark Sisson. You know, there was the Thrive event here yes, in, uh, in Sydney. Sisson, yeah. And uh, we had dinner together. And it was, you know, it was a great opportunity in my life to have sat down with an absolute champion. And I sat there with Mark and, and I said, so what are you doing these days, Mark? You know, because... I've found that people are going so hardcore at paleo based on what Lauren Cordain was saying and then mm-hmm. Rob Wolf, what he's saying, mm-hmm. and then a lot of the commentators around paleo are saying that if you eat certain foods, then you're going to increase your risk of dying. The one thing I do know is that we've all got 100% risk of dying. We're all going to die, right? <laughs> like, doesn't, you can't increase it any more than that. Uh, in terms of uh, longevity stakes, uh, what I've learned through doing you know 20 years of practice and then doing the podcast 100 Night Out with Marcus Pierce, I've learned that food comes way down in the priority list in terms of longevity. So are we trying to live a long time? We're trying to live, you know, really healthily? What, what, what is it that we're trying to achieve when we eat food? So I said to Mark, what are you doing? Yeah. So he goes, well, I enjoy a glass of wine from time to time. I go, great. I said, what's you time? You did what? <laughs> you know, what's time to time? He said, oh, you know, sometimes I have it every day. Yeah. But sometimes I won't. And I go, mate, that's so nice to hear. And he said, and I'm not afraid of grain anymore. You know, I'm not afraid to have rice or I'm not afraid to have quinoa. And I said, it's so refreshing, Mark, because what I've found is that there's cultures around the world that thrive on it. So let's look at the Okinawans, for example, one of the blue zones, Okinawa. They have um, the greatest number of centenarians on the planet. Um, They live on rice, seafood and kelp, right? And a little bit of vegetable that's grown on the land, not a whole lot, um... But, you know, in terms of iodine, they're getting heaps of iodine. They're in Japan, so they've been exposed to radiation. And, um, and they're doing really, really well. And they eat rice. Um, and then you look at the Chinese. Um, and, yes, the Chinese are in trouble from a health perspective, but they're only in a health, health problem because they're trying to follow a Western diet. Um, and they're eating Maccas and KFC and all that kind of food. So that's what's challenging them. It's not the rice that's the problem. Um, and then we look at the Andeans. And so we look at go to South America, for example, look at the Peruvians and we look at um, all the uh, Bolivians and those guys and they're eating um, Andean grains like amaranth and quinoa. 
quinoa and yeah. and spelt and so they're eating all that food and and they're doing really well like they're living to, into the hundreds as well and so we go well what's the deal there it's not actually food so much as it is happiness and so I, I said to Mark you know what are you finding as I'm just finding it easier and better if I'm relaxed about it you know so if I'm present with my meal and I'm going oh it's so good so there we are having dinner together just before having lunch together before I got up and spoke at this Thrive event and um, and we're talking there about a I suppose a paleo or a primal and Mark Sisson invented this stuff remember right he invented the primal blueprint so the whole primal thing was it was Marx, and so originally it was very very hardcore. But he's relaxed his views, you know. And so I love that. That was an amazing experience. And so I'm more primal. Yeah, that's amazing. And I like to follow the same concept. It's um, not not follow anything in particular, but um, and and just on Mark Sisson, he said to me as well, like he's like, yeah, I have a bit of a brown sugar in my coffee and there's people around him like you what you're doing what you're spiking insulin at this time of the morning <laughs> uh, it's so good you know and everybody's body responds differently to different chemicals you know and you think about the food that goes in your body it contains information and uh, and we'll talk about this tonight in great detail with the power of food we'll talk about that when you're eating proteins and fats and carbohydrates and you're getting your minerals and your vitamins and all that sort of thing then essentially all you're taking in is information. You're not actually taking in anything other than information. Your body has to read that information and then do something with it. So the higher the quality of the information, the better the quality of the output. And it's the same as books. So if you're reading information that's good quality, like for example, if you're reading, I don't know, what's the worst newspaper up here in Sydney? What's the I, worst one? I don't follow Daily any, Telegraph. Any so it's like yeah. that. You know, say, say you're reading that versus the Australian. Like the input that's going into your brain mm. is totally different. Mm. Totally different. And then your output is going to be totally different. It's the same as, you know, if you go to a library and the library's full of books. Mm. Um, the library is not smart. It's the person who goes into the library because they see the information, they get the information, they digest the information by reading it, and they can apply the information. It's the same as food, you know. And, and so for me when you select items to put into your body you're selecting items of, inf- of information and uh, and so how much information can I put into my body at what time yeah I like that so it's just packets of information and I really like that message you were uh, suggesting with Mark Sisson about the gratitude yeah. or being relaxed and being in that, that okay uh, I'm coming from this myself you know like I went the full paleo thing for a while it was like no grains and no <laughs> no dairy you know like, yeah. and so we get so caught up on on what's going in our body so if we go out for you know you get this organic uh, free range chicken salad and it's got like one crouton or one <laughs> one little bit of cheese on it you know it's like the angst and anxiety of what the casein lactose or whey could possibly do to to my body or my small intestine whatever is actually outweighing the physiological effects that it does have yeah totally right yeah so the stress associated with being a paleo person or mm-hmm. a vegan or mm-hmm. a vegetarian like that stress that and the potential social isolation um, that that can bring because you become a social retard. No one wants to be with you, you know. Yes. People go, oh, you're paleo, don't come to my barbecue, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, I remember when I was vegetarian, I was studying naturopathy, you know, back in 1995, and, and I'd get invited to parties and people would go, oh, you have to bring your own tofu, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I was like, I'd bring tofu burgers along, and I was, and I was just, I didn't, I didn't feel it at the time, but I was a social outcast, and I didn't realise it, but mm-hmm. because I was leading change, and, 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 and I was kind of there, and I was saying, you know, you've got to eat sprouts and you've got to eat mung beans and you've got to, you know, slap mm. fish. I mm. was kind of, you know, 
I was the social outcast. So I, I always remembered that friends for me and, uh, and fun is, is mm-hmm. way more important than being over-analytical about food. Sure, I like that. Um, but just with grains in particular, uh, now I know I've been tested through smart DNA testing and all that, and just by my own anecdotal evidence, I know I do not perform well on grains, yeah. uh, especially gluten. Um, but I've also noticed it doesn't really... Buckwheats, sour gum, whatever, I'd really seem to struggle. Yeah. Um, now, you have a, a forage uh, cereal brand. Yeah. Do you want to talk to me a bit about that and sort of delve into the gluten versus other grains sort of... Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a good question, Stevie, and good that you pick up on that and you've had that test, like the smart DNA um, nutrigenomic profiling and epigenomic or what, no, physiogenomic profiling is the other one they do. They're great ways to find out what's appropriate for your body so you can learn what exercise is good and you know how much fish oil you should take and what sort of fats you should consume, all that sort of stuff. And it's great that you've done that, and I love it. I do it with my patients. Um, gluten is a protein that's found in five grains. That's it. Mm-hmm. But those five grains, the Western world has overused. So we're talking wheat and barley, oats, rye, and to some extent spelt. And uh, and so we look at we look at those grains as containing gluten, and uh, and gluten is a protein that triggers a um, a response by the body um, from a gene called zonulin, mm-hmm. and zonulin is secreted. Um, in response to the presence of the gluten protein, and zonulin can cause the flattening of the villi and leaky gut. So, and leaky gut then can, you know, cause the perpetuation of different immune um, diseases like autoimmunity. So, rheumatoid arthritis, Graves' disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, and psoriasis, and so on and so. There's so many different things that gluten could be a cause of um, since the discovery of this zonulin gene by Dr. Alessio Fasano in Italy. Um, he's actually now at Harvard. And um, and so I've always felt, and I've and I've tended to be more gluten free than anything else, um, just because I I never ever felt good on gluten either. Mm. And so when I created my muesli ranges, I decided that it was important that I didn't use gluten because I wanted people to be healthy. The other thing I found too was when people were trying to lose weight, and my background in naturopathy and nutrition was to assist people in weight loss. Um, when when people ate gluten, often they wouldn't lose weight for one, two, or three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just by having a piece of bread, they'd stop losing weight. And I was like, what's going on with that? And so it wasn't the fact that they were having carbohydrates, because they could do that with rice, but they wouldn't stop losing weight. Um, but if they had a piece of bread, they could stop losing weight. And I was like, there's got to be something to this. And um, I then learned that there was this interaction of wheat and thyroid function, not gluten and thyroid function, but wheat and thyroid function. And so then I delved further to find out that there's massive implication with gluten and human health. And so all of my whole range is gluten-free. Yeah. So in order to do that, I've always been a really you know strong believer in essential amounts of amino acid intake and protein and, and having the least amount of processing possible, right? So if we can process our food less, then it's going to contain more information that's better for our body, and that's a great thing, right? So um, I, I wanted to choose grains and choose nuts and seeds and, and choose um, items of, you know, even dried fruit, you know, in my, in, my, mm-hmm. in my mixes, that would be healthful to the body. Um, and so I looked for things that contain large amounts of protein and looked for things that uh, contain large amounts of essential fatty acids. Yeah. And, you know, where there's omega-6 fatty acids, I keep it raw, because it's only when omega-6 fatty acids are cooked that they become bad for you. Because yeah. when omega-6 fatty acids are raw, they're good for you. Um, so flaxseed, for example, is rich in omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids. It's really good for you. 
um, in that state. But in its cooked state, it's no good. It's very it's you know highly toxic, so you wouldn't cook it. So I've always been really careful to select the right things. But to your question with buckwheat, um, yeah. buckwheat's a pulse. It's a lentil, right? So yeah. it's of the same. Um, you know, ilk as a peanut, uh, it grows. You know, in that same sort of you know environment, and many people have a similar sort of allergic response or um, negative immune response to buckwheat. I do have buckwheat in my in my okay. muesli, right? Um, and most people can handle it, um, okay. but a lot of people can't. Now, is that to do with uh, the lectin content? It, uh, there is a lectin, yeah. Every single food's got lectin. Yes. Yep. So, every yeah. single food's got lectin. And the lectin component of buckwheat, many people have it. No, I shouldn't say many. It's Some people have a challenge with it. Because a lot of people have buckwheat. And when, you know, this discovery originally of celiac disease meant that people needed to go gluten-free. And so buckwheat became the flour of choice. And so a lot of people started having, you know, buckwheat flour. Now it's almond meal or coconut flour. Yeah. Um, and so more expensive sort types of flour. Um, but uh, yeah, so I use that. That's probably the only questionable grain that I use, but it's not really a grain. It's what we call a pseudo grain or a legume. Yeah, pseudo grain. So um, just for everyone at home, what is that exactly? A pseudo grain. Pseudo grain is a is something that I suppose has been bundled into the grain um, mix. Yeah. It's rich in amino acids, um, but really it's a seed, uh, and so that um, a grain which behaves like a seed as well. Um, once it falls off the plant, should grow. Um, but a pseudo-grain uh, has a similar sort of amino acid profile um, but contains um, exposed germ, and so it's it, it just sprouts differently and grows differently. Cool, thanks, mate. No worries. So uh, speaking of amino acids, yeah. um, in particular fatty acids, I should say, Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier offline about Coconut oil. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Now, so hold on to your seat, <laughs> So this has come up in in the health sector as you know the, the wonder the wonder fat, right? Let's get it on. Let's let's put it on our bodies. Let's put it in our hair. Let's eat it by the tablespoon. Uh, put it in our salads and let's cook with it. Mm. Now I've got to say myself personally, I I use it every day, either on my skin, uh, in my salads, uh, but. Upon listening to one of your podcasts a while back, I've stopped cooking with it. Do you yeah. want to share a bit more about that? Yeah. Well, look, here's the, what's really important to understand is that information changes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and along the way, as you learn more about stuff, sometimes you've got to change your mind and change your perspective. And, and I'll put my hand up and say that, you know, back in the early 90s, uh, late 90s, sorry, late 90s, early 2000s, we were suggesting that soy was a health food. And, uh, and we were, because that's what yeah, we thought. You know, yeah. We're we still thought, struggling to, to deal with that now, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the whole soy movement became something that we deemed to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, soy is only healthy if it's fermented and, yep. uh, and broken down, or it remains as the bean as it should have been. So edamame, for example. And in that state, it's great. And non-GMO. Non-GMO, right? And so fortunately in Australia, we don't have GMO soy. So that's great. We don't have to worry about it. Um, we've got GMO corn. Mm. Um, or maybe we do have GMO soy now, but I know we've definitely I just GMO avoid corn. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's worth avoiding. Um, I still, I love having edamame. I really enjoy having yep. some edamame. And I know that if I have a few beans of edamame, maybe I have 20 or 40 in a sitting. Um, and I don't have it every single day. And I don't have it every single week. But when I do have it, I really enjoy it. So what? Are, what's edamame? Ed, edamame is the, um, it's the soybean just 
you get it from when you go to a Japanese restaurant. You know those little beans that come in bowls and they've got salt over the top of the bean? Yes. And you, and you push it out? Oh, yeah. I had that the other night. At, uh, <laughs> okay, that, yeah, I thought it was soybean, but I was like, we're yeah. going to do it because we're yeah. out. We're relaxed. Yeah. But <laughs> that's not bad for okay, you. Okay, yeah. Because that's the way the plant was meant to be eaten in the first place, right? Okay, yeah. And so it's totally fine. Um, so I used to think that soy was good, so I'd tell everyone, go and have soy and replace your dairy with soy. And everyone, you know, dairy is the devil. And, you know, which, which animal on the planet drinks another human's lactation or another animal with that lactation material, you know? And I'd say that. And, but that's with ignorance because the wonderful thing about being human is that we're um, innovative and we're resourceful and we find ways to survive and a great way to survive is to get dairy if you can handle it right so we've evolved into a state where we understand that we can use another animal's lactation Mm -hmm. material for our own benefit Mm -hmm. and if the only thing you had to live on was milk you would survive you know what i mean and and that's a great thing yeah so yeah, definitely. I love that about reserving the right to uh, change our minds. We are humans. We do make mistakes. Yeah. Our friend Mark Sisson is famously quoted as saying that on his blog, you know, because he's got a massive following. Did he and say that? Yeah, I, I, it stands out in my mind. Like, it was, he was one of the first people I followed in the ancestral health movement. And nice. he's like, I'm just a human being like everyone else, and I reserve the right to change my mind as new information develops. You know, I don't claim to be a god, but that's it. This is what we're all about, evolution, right? Well, this is where we're at with coconut oil. Yeah. So about seven or eight years ago, coconut oil kind of hit the shores of New Zealand, and it was big because the Samoans and the Maori people over in New Zealand used to use coconut oil for their hair. So their hair product of choice, like... Um, do you remember the movie um, Coming to America and there was Soul Glow and they'd spray their afros with this Soul Glow <laughs> stuff and they'd leave this big oily mark on the couch? Well, in New Zealand, uh, when the Māori people uh, were, you know, first... in the, Back in the 80s and 90s, they were using coconut oil to style their hair, but they were using coconut oil for body butter and they were using coconut oil for, you know, some cooking and, and, and all of those things, but it was never, ever seen to be a health food. But somehow... Um, we started talking about um, palm oil and then medium chain triglycerides and then coconut and it all came out really really quickly yeah and so words got mixed so people were saying palm and coconut oil interchangeably and i'll admit that i was one of those people that thought i must be the same thing and then i thought and then i then i heard about medium chain triglycerides and they'd say you get medium chain triglycerides from coconut oil so coconut contains medium chain triglycerides it's like saying it's like saying rice contains arsenic and so rice is bad for you, you know. And so and, and it, arsenic is found in rice but in its natural form and our body needs arsenic in order to live. But in large amounts, arsenic is bad. But coconut oil doesn't contain a whole lot of medium-chain triglyceride, contrary to what the marketers would have us believe, right? And so as, as a result, I just kind of got caught up in all of that marketing and I believed them and then they said that you can cook with it, it has a high smoke point and I didn't do my own research. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the hype, eh? Yeah. Just quickly then on MCT oil, yeah. we spoke a bit about this as well yeah. off air. So it's a, for people who don't know, MCT is medium chain triglyceride. Yeah. Now that's a derived usually from coconut yeah. or, or um, palm oil. Yeah. So that's the caprylic acid. Yeah. And capric acid. Yeah. Now, what are your views on that? It's great. Okay. Yeah, really good. So medium-chain triglycerides um, behave very, very differently in the body to, say, a saturated fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that we've learned about coconut oil is that it is, it's very, very high in saturated fat. Um, 
but where they say that it's rich in medium-chain triglycerides, that's not the case. And often what people refer to as um, the medium-chain triglyceride in coconut oil is the, uh, is the caprylic acid, and, and it's not. Um, it, it looks like it in numbers, but the way it behaves is more like a saturated fat. It's not like a medium-chain triglyceride. So it's more like a long-chain fatty acid um, rather than a, a medium-chain fatty acid. So it's on the wrong end of the spectrum. Yeah, which then makes it easy to hydrogenate or, or go rancid? Well, it, what, it, what it does do is it increases the risk of cardiovascular events with okay. those people that are sensitive to saturated fat. Okay. And, so, and that's not everybody. So, you know, when we had this whole cholesterol thing go through and everyone's on statins and, you know, <laughs> fat was bad, you know, through the 80s and, yeah. and, uh, and you know, when you go back to the research around, around statin drugs and you look at the research around whether or not people had um, a, a negative response to saturated fat, in other words, the negative response being that if you ate saturated fat, your cholesterol levels would go up. The people who didn't have that response, they were excluded from the study. So what actually happened was that they gave people saturated fat. If your cholesterol went up, then you were included in the study. Um, and if, you're, if you're, you ate saturated fat and your cholesterol levels didn't go up, you were excluded from the study. And then those people who were responders to saturated fat in a negative sense, in other words, their cholesterol went up, they were given statin drugs. And of course, when you take statin drugs, you block the manufacture of cholesterol. So the presumption then was that statin drugs would stop the manufacture of everybody's cholesterol and so that everybody would be healthy by taking statin drugs. Well, we've since learned that statin drugs could be responsible for up to 150,000 deaths in the US alone, right? <laughs> yeah, including stripping our hearts of Q10 and it's right. destroying the liver. And that's actually yeah. the reason that... Uh, <laughs> and increasing our risk of stroke, you know, so all of these sorts of things, right? So statin drugs haven't been good. Um, uh, they haven't. They've been said that they may have saved somewhere in the vicinity of 0.5 to 1 percent of lives. Mm. So not a whole lot. <laughs> like huge cost. <laughs> huge cost. And uh, and it was off. You know, flawed research. And mm -hmm. um, and the and the challenge with that is that um, we learned some things about that study that have been ignored. And that is that some people respond poorly to saturated fat and other people respond positively to saturated fat. When everyone's come out and said that coconut oil is rich in saturated fat and that's good for us, so just take it, okay. it's been good for some people but hasn't been good for other people. So, yeah. you know, people with Irish descent or people with uh, British descent who have never ever in their genealogy ever seen a yeah. coconut palm in their genealogy are now having coconut chips, coconut flour, coconut milk, coconut water, coconut flesh, um, coconut whatever, and they're getting itchy eyelids and their cholesterol is going up and they're increasing their risk markers for cardiovascular disease and triglycerides are going up and they're putting on body fat. And so they've become poor responders to saturated fat because they're eating too much of something yeah. that genetically they haven't evolved to be able to handle. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it becomes a case of too much of one thing no longer is a good thing, right? What can heal can harm, right? Yeah, what can heal can harm. Mm. Uh, that's great, man. So, but let's talk about then, while we're on oils and fatty acids, yep. uh, ones that are, I guess, as an industry standard, not so good for our health. Yeah, okay. So, um, the key thing to understand about oils that are edible um, that we have in Australia and New Zealand in particular, and we have the strictest guidelines in the world around that, um, more strict than America, more strict than anywhere else in the world. Um, and what you'll tend to find is that oil-producing countries, so for example Spain and Greece who produce olive oil, they reserve their best quality oil for their own people. In Australia, we tend to send our best quality offshore. 
You know what I mean? Don't you love the Australian <laughs> government? <laughs> amazing, hey? In New Zealand, they send 97% of their fresh produce offshore. Wow. And they leave 3% of their fresh produce, and it's considered to be their C-grade quality produce they leave in the country. Their A and B-grade gets sent to China and to other countries around the world. But uh, anyway, I digress. But in those countries around the world that produce oil, um, they will use extra virgin olive oil, for example. Yeah. Um, in Australia, if we import oil, they can have like that imported oil used to be able to say um, pure, fresh, or used to be able to say extra virgin olive oil, but it could have also been mixed with what's called um, refined, deodorized, and bleached. So, or re- refined, bleached, and deodorized, so RBD oil. Yeah. So it could have contained. Um, light oil in order to alter the flavour of it um, or it could have you know been um, chemically extracted and then you know which is refined and then deodorised and then bleached and then blended with extra virgin olive oil and then brought into the country but Australia's now got very very strict guidelines around that and so um you now can't bring that oil into Australia and we can't have oils labelled light anymore because light used to imply that it was lower in fat or lower in calories but light in the marketing sense of, of olive oil was uh, was more around the flavour of it and the colour of it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so we now, can't, we now can't do that which is great which protects us here um, but but the imported oils often are old oils and so it's the oil that they couldn't sell in their country they send over to us and so we're talking about oils that could be two three four or five years old coming to australia with a used by date or a best before date not a pressing date so some of the oils you get from spain or from greece they won't be the best quality oils from spain or greece um, they could be really high acid. Um, in other words, you know, they'll go rancid very, very quickly. Um, and they could be two, three, four, five years old and not contain much of the good stuff at all. So that's important to keep in mind, right? But, you know, there's rice bran oil, which is um, chemically extracted, bleached and deodorised, packaged into a clear bottle, which means that all of the nutrients are stripped from it. Yeah. Um, it's, no, it's no good. Um, canola is the same. Sunflower is the same. Um, we see these oils that are out there being marketed as healthy um, because they've got high smoke points. The idea with oil isn't to fry. It's no. that, that, you know, we've learned to fry with oil, but mm-hmm. oil's not healthy if you're frying with it. Oil's only healthy having it in its raw state. So, you know, coconut oil is healthy for you if you don't cook with it. Um, olive oil is healthy for you if you don't cook with it. Macadamia oil, yeah, you can cook with it if you want, but you don't need to cook with oil. You're better off cooking with water. Yeah, definitely, and just steaming it or poaching it, right? Steaming or poaching. That's yeah. Or, you know, put a bit of water in, on the pan so that the pan's super hot and the water just bubbles away and it stops the veggies from sticking. Toss the veggies around in the yeah. water. Yeah. Add your flavours like your aminos, your Bragg's amino acids or something like that just to get some flavour through it. And, uh, and you've got a beautiful stir-fry that has no oil in it. And then pour your oil over it after it's been cooked. Yeah. So you've got the flavour and the benefit of the oil. That's exactly what I do. And uh, when it's steaming, yeah, I'll put my garlic and onion and... Um, Chili. And chili, exactly, and yeah. just let it all simmer in there. It's perfect. And, and then flavors strong. Yeah, and then I put a bit of uh, MCT oil over the top at yeah, the end. at the end. And that's when it's really, really good for you, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you're getting the benefit from it. Epic. So just a quick recap on that. Uh, let's say... Coconut oil, fine uh, to add to your add to your food afterwards. Yeah, um, and and even like the other, I I make a, a I make kale eggs often in the morning. So okay. I'll thinly slice my kale. I'll um, get a little bit of um, of water. Put my chili and um, and what else? Usually it's just chili. Yeah, I usually put just the chili in the water, and then 
I'll get that fried up so the flavours of the chilli come out, put the kale on the on the on the on my tagine pot, and then I'll get my, my bone broth that I've been cooking for the last forty eight hours or whatever, and I'll put, you know, maybe a litre of the bone broth in with my kale, um, and simmer that away for a little bit, then poach some eggs in it. And um, and so then I serve that up. And that's 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 an amazing meal. And I'll also stir in one or two tablespoons of coconut oil. Epic, now, yeah. I know that, that that broth is only going to get to 100 degrees because it's going to boil and it's going to, you know, send off, you know, steam. And my eggs, I'm not going to leave at 300 degrees or 170 degrees because the yolk will go hard and then I miss out on all the benefit of the yolk because the yolk is only good for you when it's runny. So, yeah. you know, if I'm missing out on my choline from my runny yolk, then... I've wasted the opportunity to eat a great quality egg. So I'd much better, I much prefer to not overcook my egg. So when I put my coconut oil into that, it liquefies and it adds this beautiful coconut flavour to my kale mm. eggs and it's delicious. Amazing. Mm. And uh, I actually like to cook um, my eggs and fish and that in ghee or yeah. grass-fed butter. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you can do that. Again, if you're a responder that's you know a, po- a good responder to saturated fat, Go for it, mm-hmm. but for people with A type blood out there, or um, or those people who haven't got a very evolved genome, so you're obviously of a very ancient genome to be able to handle saturated fat. Um, those with a, a relatively new genome who are going to respond well to the Mediterranean diet will be, you know, well served to not have a whole lot of saturated fat. So this this uh, pricks my ears up a bit because I'm actually A positive. Really, um, but my DNA testing, I've been told that. I am a fantastic absorber and utiliser of, of, fat. of fat, yeah. Yeah, and there's this evolution. I spoke about this, I reckon, three or four years ago. I reckon there's an evolution of people um, who have got A-type blood and you're evolving more to become more like an O-type blood person. Oh. And, uh, and we're seeing that. And when I look at your body shape and your body, you know, and your muscle mass and the way in which you hold your body, you, you come across more like an O-type blood person who would respond really well to protein, you know, thrive on protein and thrive on carnivorous-style eating rather than vegetarian-style eating. Well, that was the, another outcome of that is I, uh, my biology expects or does well on a high-protein diet. Yeah, and that's the evolution. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, when paleo people say that we haven't evolved for 250,000 years, it's not true because yeah. if you look at the stages of evolution and we look at blood typing, just from an evolutionary perspective, O being the oldest, A, A being the youngest, right? When we, when we look at that, we go, well, there's stages of evolution there that are, are marked by our blood types. And, so, and now there's another level of evolution. And Bruce Lipton talks all the time about spontaneous evolution. And his whole thing is this spontaneous evolution of the cell and of the genome. And, and every single day we spontaneously evolve with changes in our bacteria in our body, and which you and I both know. There's more bacterial cells in our gastrointestinal system than there is actually human body cells throughout the whole of our body. So, you know, we've become the vessels for transportation of bacteria. And, yeah. uh, and so that's, that's evolution in itself. Yeah, okay. I was going to talk about this later, but we've already delved in, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about poo. Yes. And again, <laughs> for those that aren't aware, Damien is the uh, the chief honcho when it comes to talking about poo and the gastrointestinal tract. Yep. Um, so take it away, mate. I'll let you divulge. Well, I th- <laughs> I, look, I, I enjoy talking about poo probably because I studied to be a naturopath. And... Um, and it's not that I ever like to play with it or, or look at it myself. <laughs> what you, know? you do in your own time is your visit. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. In fact, you know, just the thought of playing with someone else's poo makes me feel sick. But 
the understanding of what our poo tells us is really important. And I think that many people don't take the time to discuss it. Many people don't take the time to understand what's going on down mm. there. And many people don't take the time to understand how quickly or how slowly um, your bowels should be moving. And so that understanding of the transition from the mouth to the rectum or the anus is, is very, very important. And then investigation of how well you're digesting your food is equally as important. Um, and then to also then understand the stages and the types of different poos that you can have, so everything from a very runny number zero or number one all the way through, oh, sorry, like a number seven, all the way through like a number one, which is like, you know, pallets and rocks, like rabbit poos. Yeah. You know, when you've got these sorts of um, stool types and the goal would be to have a nice log which is ghost-like and just disappears underneath the toilet, uh, it's just gone, um, as a number four, when you understand your poo and and what it's telling you uh then you understand the your internal health uh very very well and and this is where we come back to the microbiome and the understanding of you know the health of the gut stems and the health of the body actually stems from what sort of bacteria you have in your gut yeah so uh i mean yeah so that transition people from the mouth all the way through to expelling yep. the feces 12 is, to 24 hours 12 to 24 hours mm-hmm. and that's like uh, once a day, twice a day. What's what's healthy? Well, if, it, if, it, well, if it's twenty four hours, right? You're talking about once a day. Yeah. But if it's twelve hours, you're talking twice a day. Some people might move their bowels uh, three times a day, and that's once every eight hours. Um, and so that's probably not ideal. That's a little bit too quick. So you you may not be absorbing all of the nutrients that you need to be absorbing. And so you might look at ways in which you could decrease sympathetic stimulation. Um, so if you overstimulated with stress or you're having too much caffeine or you're having things that would maybe it's too high high in fiber or you're eating foods that are highly reactive you might find yourself moving your bowels too frequently Um, but there'll be other people that you know move their bowels very very poorly and may not move their bowels for three four or five days you know they may move their bowels every day because they eat a meal and that meal literally pushes down the, the meals from beforehand um, and so they're literally forcing their poo out by pushing another meal in. Um, th- those people, if they were to do the sesame seed challenge, Stevie, may not see those um, sesame seeds or corn, pieces of corn for maybe three, four or five days. All right, so, so that's yeah. slow transit. That's toxic. And so, yeah, the sesame seed challenge is where you basically eat whole seeds without chewing yeah, them. Yeah, you get a teaspoon or a dessert spoon of sesame seeds, put it into water and then drink it, and then you should find them coming out in, you know, half a day to a day yeah you know and if it, and you should time it yeah you know, start the yeah. stopwatch yeah so it's a bit of an n equals one and do a bit of the self-diagnosis huh? everyone's self-experimentation totally, everyone's unique yeah. everyone's unique oh look i've heard um pediatricians say about children that haven't moved their bowels for you know 14 days that oh. they're not concerned until it gets to 17 or 18 days okay. you know and i'm like well you try and eat 18 <laughs> days worth of food and sustain yourself and not do a poo you know, that, that just can't happen. You've, what goes in must come out. It's Newtonian, right? So it's, it's the way it's supposed to be. Hey, that's that's mind-blowing. I, I, <laughs> I still can't comprehend 18 days without going to the toilet. I've seen children. Like, how literally. toxic that must be for your body. And they're miserable, they're uncomfortable. But even after not moving your bowels for three days, people are miserable and uncomfortable. You know, I, I know people that when they travel on a plane become constipated. Um, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if we, anyone can explain that. Maybe it's dehydration, maybe it's pressure, maybe it's sympathetic load or parasympathetic load or lack of oxygen or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's just different bacteria or what, whatever. But some people don't move their bowels for three, four or five days after they've flown. And that's such a, an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, and, and that's highly toxic for the body. 
Yeah, so this may not be something you agree with, but um, from following people like Dave Asprey and Tim Ferriss and that, yeah, uh, I tend to megadose vitamin C. Yeah, great when, idea. Okay, yeah, yeah, when when I'm on the plane or immediately after it. Yep. Uh, and I found that helps facilitate the bowel movement and keep and yeah. Yeah, well, there's a thing called bowel tolerance, and yep. we have bowel tolerance with magnesium. We have bowel tolerance with uh, vitamin C. We're going to have bowel tolerance with almost anything, right? So. Um, when you take too much vitamin C, um, that will cause uh, the body to evacuate that mm-hmm. vitamin C because you can only absorb so much. And so humans don't store or manufacture vitamin C. And as a result, anything that's in excess has to come out. Um, and so we won't absorb it if there's excess. And if there's excess in the colon, it draws water with it. It's hydrophilic, so it brings water, and it washes the guts out. So that's part of the reason why that actually works but you can do the same thing with magnesium yeah, yeah of course mm-hmm. so yeah i use zinc magnesium and maybe melatonin too if i'm in a different time zone yeah you can do that yep yeah. yeah. that, that all works yeah cool man mm-hmm. uh so going back to the gut a little bit of the gut health so let's say um someone has been for want of a better view abusing their body by following the standard western diet you know following the food pyramid how great it is yeah no, and actually it, they've improved it i have to say they've you got know. the wheel now That's no no it's moved on it's moved again yeah, it's okay. moved again and uh and you know hats off to nutrition australia for finally okay. getting it close to right okay um and and i say that openly and i've been a very big detractor of nutrition australia and dietitians yeah. association of australia in fact i still think the dietitians association association of australia um uh questionable in terms of uh, the information that they, yeah. they send out because uh, it's industry sponsored but uh, the new food thing is is almost close to excellent excellent yeah, yeah it's very good yeah and uh, I mean it, it is a shame because it's not like I'm very much on the exact same side of the fence as you with in regards to the DAA and that um, but it's not like saying dietitians are bad people no. or that they're they're uh, what's they're, they're out to, to hurt you or they don't have your best interests at heart. But it's just what they like learned. you're saying, the, yeah, the industry is sponsoring their certification and their their tick, you know. So you well, want to just yeah well, give a bit more on that. When you've got a company that's paying for your education, um, and this is the same, and I'm open to say this, this is the same for medical schools. Um, you know, I had a situation just the other day where I had a patient come in to see me. Um, as a as a chiropractic patient, um, she was experiencing dizziness and and a bit of uh, nausea. And she went to a doctor. The doctor said, "Oh, you've got Meniere's disease." Now, Meniere's disease is a disease where it, it takes a long time to diagnose. It's many many months of repeated recurrent episodes of dizziness and nausea. And she went only once and was diagnosed with Meniere's disease, and uh, and then was prescribed subsequently prescribed an antipsychotropic drug. Wow, and yeah. it's, so antipsychotropic. Yep. So she was that those sorts of drugs are highly addictive. Yes. Um, like a benzo, um, they're highly addictive um, and, uh, and and are linked to many different problems, including suicide. So she was told that she had many years disease off one visit, like a seven minute visit, uh, which normally takes months to diagnose, and was given us a, a drug to help with psychosis, not many years disease. So. Oh, and I was flabbergasted. Then I had another patient only just yesterday come and say to me, I'm going through menopause. She's young. And I said, wow, you know, that's amazing you're going through menopause. She said, yeah, my doctor said that I can't do HRT. I said, well, that's great. And she said, well, it's because I've got high risk of breast cancer. So she said my other option's antidepressants. Wow. 
I said, <laughs> that's my other option. That's her other option. <laughs> and I said, so she, the doctor didn't say lifestyle modification, go try a naturopath, try some herbs, didn't talk about meditation or, or any other lifestyle intervention, just was into prescription of drugs. And so it was reinforced to me that when you learn in a model where it's funded um, by industry, of course, that's where your, your information is limited. So unless a doctor or a GP goes out and studies further than what they learned at medical school, they're going to know drugs and surgery. That's it. Yeah. You know, so if you expected to go to Midas, you would expect to get a muffler. Yeah. If you went to Midas and thought, where's my oranges? You know, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> so if you go to a doctor, you should expect to get a prescription for drugs or you should expect to get a prescription for a, a referral to a specialist who's going to do surgery. Um, and don't expect anything else unless you're... So you need to go and look at other things. So when we go to dietitians, they're sponsored by industry. So if you go to the Dietitians of Australia website, the DAA website, you'll see who sponsors them. Mm-hmm. So it's Frucor, it's Pepsi, it's Sweps, it's mm-hmm. Cadbury, um, it's Kellogg's, it's Sanitarium. You know, all of those companies um, are, are giving money to the dietitians who regulate and register that whole uh, that whole associate that whole profession. And so, if a dietitian speaks out against any of that, then they're deregistered from the profession. And that, to me, I think is is uh, it's not only fraudulent, but it's it's unethical. Yeah, extremely unethical, mate. And uh, for people that may not have heard this, I mean, it's not a theory; it's all fact. Oh, it's what you're true. saying, uh, yeah, it's all fact. Uh, I guess how do you how do you break that news? You know, it's like well, to me, I, I just look at the the meta analysis, right? The the mega data that's sort of saying, well, look at the the health crisis we are in. Like, let's have a look at um, uh, you know the rates of diabetes, of heart disease, and uh, yeah, what, what's what would be your sort of selling point for for the information you've just shared? Well, I think the key thing is to just read between the lines, you know. So let's say, for example, someone came to me and they and they wanted nutrition advice. Um, generally, I'm going to tell them to eat according to a model of um, of healthcare that I've taught myself all about and that I've learned about from all of my industry education and all of my non-industry education. It's highly likely that I'm going to give you some breakfast options that might include forage because it's my product it's my brand right and so i believe that i've created an amazing breakfast muesli but there could be some people out there that say well forage isn't the best breakfast thing to do go and do something else forage wouldn't be the only breakfast option i'd suggest right i'd probably suggest do kale eggs like i do you know or go and poach some eggs for example or i think people should eat more eggs um you know so but if they're not going to have eggs or don't have eggs all the time then why wouldn't you have a good quality muesli you know like forage so that's that's what i suggest but that's my education so a dietitian for example who's been educated in wheat bix cornflakes just right um nutri-grain up and go they're the things that they're going to recommend or resource or anything like that sort of stuff if that's who, what they've learned that's what some orange do. juice <laughs> so it's only what they've learned that's what the thing is so yeah. if you don't think that that feels right ask some more questions yeah definitely i like that advice so stop have a think and how do i feel about this does this resonate with me don't Very trust nice. the expert who's got a piece of paper on a wall from 1984 <laughs> let's yeah. you know and and that's i think the, the biggest thing for a lot of healthcare practitioners is there is that ego attached to that that certificate that says 
well, I'm the expert. I have even a master's or a PhD, so I'm it. Well, I'm look in the at white you, coat. Go, yeah, I'm in the white coat. You have a look on PubMed. Have a look on um, Medline. All, the, all these resources that come out with new studies every single day. Mm-hmm. You have to stay on top of the, the latest information. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, the coconut oil. You originally, you were saying, yeah, cook with it. It's great. But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, hang on. I'm sorry, but I was wrong. Let's yeah. let's evolve. Let's yeah. let's use the current data. Evolve your mind, right? Evolve your mind, yeah. Evolve your mind. And it's all about information. So be, be brave enough to ask questions and be brave enough to look elsewhere mm-hmm. um, and check in. You ask a great question there, Stevie, and that is, you know, how do I feel? And, you know, if you don't feel good about the information you've received, then it's highly likely that it's not going to be right for you or you haven't heard all the information. So as a chiropractor, we come up against a lot of, um, of people with opinion. You know, and people have an opinion about chiropractic and chiropractors based on information. Either they've read it, heard it, or experienced it themselves. And, uh, and I implore people to go and ask more questions because it's highly unlikely that what people have heard about chiropractic is true. And, uh, and so I encourage people to go and interview their chiropractor or go and interview chiropractors to find out who's going to be right for them because chiropractic works for everybody. It just takes time. And, uh, and that's why I, I ask people to actually ask more questions. Definitely. And uh, I love uh, your sort of holistic approach to even being a chiropractor because you, you are an atropathist as well. Um, and I spoke offline about my chiropractor who's actually a yeah. kinesiologist as well. So interesting. Uh, and so they, it's not a matter of just going, walking into the, the practice, cracking your back and out you go. I've been a part of it, or not, not as a practitioner, but as a, as a patient, in, in a clinic like that, lovely guy, uh, lovely staff, whatever, but it was the same treatment every time yep. and nothing ever got better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so for some people, that, that approach to chiropractic works beautifully. Mm-hmm. And many people might say that's the way I practice chiropractic. And so for me, it's the removal of the subluxation, it's the enhancement of the nervous system, and then it's the education, which is the information, so that you can go and live a better life. And so you'll live a better life when there's no, you know, interference to the information. So the interference to the information comes from this thing called subluxation. So for me, however we remove the subluxation, whether it be through network spinal analysis or whether it be through an activator or whether it be through a big manual adjustment like the way I do a, a chiropractic adjustment um, or even a bigger manual adjustment like some of my friends would give, um, whatever resonates well with you, is what's important and uh and so some people really really love to have a really big manual adjustment frequently and some people prefer to not have that style of adjustment we might use a an instrument Mm -hmm. so you know always speak to your chiropractor and ask them you know what other things can we do yeah i (laughs) just saying that um i remember just before i left the last guy it was like he he wanted to crack my neck as he always does and i'm like no 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 i don't I was just, I knew, it actually the last one I'd had really hurt me and mm-hmm. I ended up worse off. And I was like, no, no, I don't want it. And he's like, sure. no, 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 we do this every time. And I felt like guilty almost trying to tell him, no, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, hang on a minute. He's not the one who's got to walk out of here with a neck that's worse and go to work <laughs> the next day struggling to lift a box above his head. So yeah. it's about, we, we think, um, you know, we're in the hands of a healthcare professional or something like, let's, you know, a dietitian, whatever, let's, forgo our own rights and our own um, 
thought pattern. Like, you That's know. right. And you just, you know, have an open conversation with your professional, your healthcare professional, and, and talk about it and go, look, I, I don't enjoy that part of that care. Can we do it another way? Yeah. You know, and there's always another way. There's always another way. But, you know, one thing I would say, and there's some people out there that will be listening to this podcast who have seen a chiropractor and may have had a bad experience and go, oh, I hate chiropractors. Yeah. Had a bad experience with a chiropractor once. I'll never go back. And, uh, and you know, Stevie, you're a sparky, right? So Was. Y- you, you were a sparky. Yeah. Yes, well said. Um, but I, And I've had plumbers come to my house who have done a really bad job, but I've still got to use a plumber um, or I've still got to use a sparky. And I had a sparky come over and stuff up all of our lights in our place and I had to go get another sparky because he disappeared. I didn't not trust sparkies. Yeah. I needed to use another sparky and now if I had something wrong with my electricity, I'd have to call another electrician. I wouldn't do it myself. So my thing is that just because you have one bad experience shouldn't mean that you take that ability to express an amazing life and a totally connected life away from you because you had one bad experience. And that's an amazing analogy for life, right? Not Outside of the healthcare practice as well. Uh, yeah, just because you've had a bad experience, don't shut yourself off from it again. Learn from it, definitely. Don't make the same mistake twice. But do some more research, get get more involved get educated ask more questions get more information ask more questions yeah Yeah. everyone's afraid to ask questions right (laughs) if you don't ask you won't know that's it that's exactly right mate I just want to go back to uh, poo for a second yes (laughs) I see your eyes light up there Uh, so let's well let's go more into uh, intestinal Mm -hmm. Uh, so say someone who's been living the western lifestyle had a few courses of antibiotics in their life Uh, they've eaten a lot of fast food alcohol uh, there's a good chance in saying that their their um, microflora has been greatly affected, mm-hmm. and their numbers are down. And there's a good chance that the, the little fellas aren't happy. Uh, so would you say that the ratio should be about the ten to one? So it's about 100, 100 trillion to about ten trillion cells in our body. I don't know. Okay, well, I, don't, that's, I don't know. That's yeah, what I, I've heard. Yeah, that's I what don't I've heard know what the ratio should be. Um, um, I actually, I would say. Based on what I know, I'm about to run a gut summit, um, oh, which amazing. is which will have some of the best researchers from around the world um, speaking on that. You know, both from a medical perspective and a um, natural health practitioner perspective, um, and a geneticist perspective. So um, it, we're going across the whole spectrum. And um, from what I've read, the one thing that's consistent is that we don't know enough about how many how many bacteria we're supposed to have. Okay. Consistent. We don't yeah. know how many we're supposed to have. We don't actually know um, what the ratio is of all the good ones. And there's conjecture about whether or not a parasite is actually commensal. In other words, it should be there or it shouldn't be there. So, for example, you know, there's some parasites that people are chasing around at the moment trying to kill. You know, for example, um, Blastocystis hominis. Um, we think that that may actually be a commensal um, pathogen that's meant to be in your gastrointestinal tract and people are out there trying to kill it. And so we're going, hang on a second, stop trying to kill stuff off because we don't know enough about it yet. And so okay. we may be aware of, let's say, let's say it's 50 different species of bacteria that live in the gut. But there's the potential for another 150 different species of bacteria that live inside our gut that we've never even seen yet and we haven't actually transcribed the genes yet. So we don't really know everything yet about it. So 
I, my thing is to throw in as many different bacteria as often as you possibly can and let them just grow. Let them do what they've got to do. And it will take you two, three, four, five years to establish a really healthy colon or colony um, of bacteria in the absence of, of antibiotics. If you do take antibiotics or if you do take um, the contraceptive pill or you take, you know, you know, pharmaceutical drugs that can alter that or you get a gastrointestinal infection, you've gone to Bali or to, you know, to Thailand and that mucks things up, then it may take you a little bit longer to get that right. But don't just stop because you reach three, four or five years and go, oh, everything's fixed because it's always evolving, it's always changing. Yeah, and... Uh I believe personally that um, even if your gut health is perfect, you start from day dot now, you've lived in a bubble uh, that's kept you away from all, all the Western societies, uh, let's say, toxifications uh, you know, that are going to damage your gut. Yeah. Uh, you walk out there today and even if you start buying organic broccoli and everything like that, it's still been growing in depleted soils. It's you're still breathing in toxic air. I, I personally, <laughs> I, right. I, um, I supplement every day with Prescriptacyst mm-hmm. as a maintenance program, yeah. and I'm actually doing a course of um, resistant starch at the yeah. moment as well. Yeah. Just because I came back from Malaysia, and I you know, know where you get resistant starch from. I, I use potato starch. Yeah, you can use potato or rice. Yeah. Right. So you know, interestingly, those people who have the healthiest gastrointestinal microflora. Are those people who eat grain? That word, that amazing. dirty word again. <laughs> you know, you know, and so for the last four or five years, particularly with paleo being so strong, many people have stopped eating grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people who have the most amount of plant-based fibres in their gut, particularly that's rich in resistant starch, they have the highest amounts of healthful bacteria in their gut. Now that that is extremely fascinating. My head's just ticking over now because. <sighs> I mean, it's hard to attribute one thing to one thing because you change so many things as you start going on this ancestral health sort of movement. Yeah. But I don't recall having the stomach issues I used to until later on in life. But I see also the drive to change my nutrition. That was because of my health as well, you know. And there's, there's so much at play here, right, that we don't yeah. understand. But would you suggest then to people that maybe want to start doing a bit of tinkering or N equals one experiments on themselves, uh, they, they start experimenting with it like a little bit of resistant starch and a good probiotic always start small yeah, yeah start small don't go hard fast mm-hmm. you know when i see people go 100 percent, i realize that they're you know putting themselves into danger john d martini is a great philosopher and he's a chiropractor too john have you heard of john john d john martini, martini yeah. yes yeah. legendary guy right he says the least amount of variance possible is the best way to live a long life and so his thing is just to stay the course. And yeah. so it's small little incremental changes as opposed to massive big swings in, you know, like I've been vegetarian and then I've gone so close to paleo and then, you know, and, and so now I'm kind of finding my way back to a really comfortable, healthy yeah. middle ground, which is, I suppose, what Mark Sisson's also done. And I suppose we'll probably end up seeing Rob Wolf do that too because yeah. you start to listen to Rob's information. His yeah. is changing too. He, um, he is slightly, but, I mean, he's celiac, so I guess he has to be a lot more... He's got to be carefree. Yeah. Well, it's only five grains. There's still rice, yeah, the, quinoa. Yeah, yeah you that's know, right. That's right. That, you know, so it may not be all that bad. Yeah. yeah. So. And uh, I mean, that's, that's evolution, right? It's like the, the hippies thing of the 70s and 80s. It was too far freedom one way and everyone's just smoking dope and doing nothing <laughs> with their life. Yeah. Then it, because that was the, um, you know, against the movement of the 50s with the straight hair, buzz haircuts and the tucked in shirts and everything. Look where we but, are now. And, and, but now. and now we're saying, like, okay, so the new age hippie or the, the hipster as it's called it's like yeah. the entrepreneur right yeah. he's relaxed he's super cool but yeah. he, he's 
hanging out and he's working his own hours, he's making good money and he's, yeah. you know, and that's evolution, right? He's got, that's a, we go got a beard and gelled hair, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that, that's that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Well, thanks for touching on that. Um, all right, so I want to talk about sleep with mm. you mm. Uh, because I think that's such an underplayed part of, or underappreciated uh, portion of our, a section of our health, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone gets so focused on nutrition and making sure they're training four or five days a week and smashing kettlebells and throwing tires and climbing ropes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, That's it. But yeah. we're sleeping four or five hours a night. I know, right? So, and they're like, yeah. uh, I love uh, Rob Wolf's quote is, uh, I hope I get this right, is, oh, what does he say? But, Basically, I'm not going to say it right, so I'll give you the notion of it. Just is that, Yeah, I'll paraphrase. Is that uh, if you can, yeah, you can do all that, but if, if you don't sleep eight to ten hours a night, the, we- the wheels on the wagon are going to fall off. It, it's irrelevant. You don't sleep. It's, it, after breathing, it's like the first thing that's going to cause death, right? Yeah, right. Totally. So Marcus Pierce and I talk about this in terms of um, having an exceptional life. And, uh, and when we look at the pillars of health, there's five pillars of health. Um, and, you know, having an exceptional life, uh, which in both Marcus's and my language, we would talk about um, having a life purpose, uh, being engaged, exercising, um, taking time to be still, sleeping, and then having good nutrition yeah. in that order. Wow. So good nutrition, six or seven. Like yeah. it's way down the way down the list, and so sleeping is more important than the food you put into your body, um, and purpose and happiness and engagement and exercise is more important than food that you put into your body. So the food that you put into your body assists you in having an amazing, exceptional experience, but it doesn't help you live a long time. No, there's no evidence that says having a healthy diet has you living a long time. In fact, the people who like probably the sickest people I've ever met are vegans and vegetarians. <laughs> you know, and and equally, I think what we'll find is the people with the most amount of bowel disease will be those people who didn't get rid of their bowel, you know, fecal matter fast enough. And those will be the people that had the least healthy bacteria. And they'll be the ones who didn't eat the resistant starch. Yeah. And so I'm talking possibly paleo people. And I know I'm going to ruffle feathers here. Yeah, yeah. But there'll be, people, there'll be people that are doing paleo that shouldn't be doing paleo, but they're not listening and asking themselves questions. Mm. Because you said it before, I didn't have the same gastrointestinal issues um, until later in life and it's hard to know whether or not they began as a result of your journey or that was actually impetus for part of your journey but people have become very very um, sensitive and reactive to different types of foods in their exploration so they know that they feel a different way when they have a certain type of food um, but they stop to li- they stop listening to that because they subscribe to a yes. way of life, and so they go, "Well, I'm paleo, or I'm vegan, or I'm carnivorous, or I'm omnivorous, you know, or I'm pescatarian." So they label themselves with with some kind of an eating program without listening to the answers to the questions that their body's providing. Sure. Um, and so back to sleep. Yes. If, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Sorry, we do need sleep. Yeah, we actually do. And so there's been times in my life where I've done four or five hours. Yeah. But you can't last on that. And so no. you burn yourself out. So, and, you know, if you do that for one or two or three years, you could take three, four, five or six years to recover from that. 
and you can't get lost sleep back. So it takes time to rebuild your body. And so we're talking uh, eight to 10 hours, is that a? Maybe, yeah. maybe. What we do know is that we sleep in cycles of 45 minutes. And so half of a cycle is 45, mm. a full cycle is 90. Mm. And so that where we say eight hours, we're actually waking ourselves up outside of a full cycle. So a full cycle would be seven and a half hours or be nine hours. I've always taken that as um, they allow like half an hour to get you to sleep. So that allows for the full five cycles? Possibly. Just when, I, when, I, it when I hit the pillow, I'm gone. Yeah. You know, I, and when I wake up, I'm out. You know, yeah. So it's, it's a seven-hour or nine-hour cycle. Yeah. Um, yep. When you go longer than 10 hours, I think it's actually potentially detrimental to your body. You yeah, know. and you feel super lethargic. Eh? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like you're, just, you're being in a coma. We're, we're meant to move. Yeah, we're meant we're to me- move. Yeah. We're not bees. No, you know, so we're meant to move, we're meant to get around, we're meant to, you know, pump blood around our body, pump the lymph around our body. We're, and we don't stay healthy unless we do move. Yeah. So, so movement. Mm. There's another topic that I wanted to touch yeah. bases with you. Yeah. Um, so the Western world, we're all about now getting in the gym and, yeah, lifting weights. And well, let's take it back a step. Going, going and sitting on a treadmill for 45 minutes, an hour with a novel in front of them, sweating over the top of it, you know, and calling that exercise. To me, that's boring as batshit. Yeah. Now, I do enjoy Olympic lifting and yep. um, getting in the squat rack, um, deadlifting and all that. And I also enjoy doing handstands, playing on a slack line, surfing. Yeah. Um, and in, in essence, what I say to people when they ask, you know, what, what activity do you do? I just say, I move like a human. I just I like real human movement. Yeah. Um, how would you? That's the best what thing would, to do. Yeah. That's the best thing to do when you're moving in the line of a machine, whether it be cycling or lifting weights with machines. Um, then you're limiting the full range of motion of the body, and so moving like a human is like Irwin Lacour's move that thing. You know, where you're able to crawl and you're able to climb trees, you're able to jump over rocks and logs. That ability to main, maintain mobility and flexibility and um, and pliability, like to be able to do that, um, signals and signifies health of the human frame and health of the human body. And so, moving like a human is exactly what we should be doing. So, it may not include Olympic lifting for yeah. you know for people. Yeah. In fact, you know, I I don't I don't really love lifting heavy weights. Yeah. And I love the effect because yeah. my chest pumps up, my arms <laughs> pump up. I don't really enjoy it. Pause I find it really yeah. boring, right? Yeah. But For me, getting out there and walking and being amongst nature and then jumping on some rocks to go and chase some lizards or climb a tree to try and see the caterpillars that are up there, for me, that's equally as beneficial as for someone else who's in the gym pumping out some iron, you know. So, But it's the consistent movement that's most important. So it doesn't matter what it is um, as long as it's consistent and and, and, and you're moving. So if you just go for a walk once a week, that's not consistent. Um, If you go for a walk every day, that's consistent and that's great. Um, you might choose to do different things with your walk. You might, you might challenge your body, maybe do some chin-ups or you might do some push-ups or some sit-ups um, and, and that would be good. You might choose to break into a little jog, but you may not choose to break into a little jog. But just some kind of movement on a regular, consistent basis is, is really important. What do you love? Ask yourself the question and then go do it. Yeah, I think that's a very important question is what do you love doing? What, what can you see yourself doing? 
don't don't follow old mate in the gym, in the you know the muscle mag that's sitting there doing 20 sets of bicep curls you yeah. know if, if you don't want to i only go to the gym and, and do olympic lifting that because i enjoy it mm-hmm. i like pushing heavy weights around i yeah. like i like it so that's i do tight. it but if yeah if you, yeah. If, you if, if that's not your thing don't do it go go for a walk go for a run go play uh, i mean we're in manly so obviously do environment so invite yeah environment's a, a big um co-founder of movement right mm-hmm. like so we got the beach we got the sand people playing volleyball people skating surfing it's the environment right but if you're say in the middle of the city uh what what would you sort of recommend someone that doesn't want to go to a gym and uh, doesn't really have a friend circle that's active how can they get involved go walking go walking yeah, yeah. get effort, out effort, just effort, get yeah. out you know you, when you start to walk and you move the blood around your body your head's freer um, and if you're listening to podcasts when you're walking, then you're getting more information. Yeah. But you may also find that you just want silence. And so you can put some noise-canceling headphones in, and so then you've got some silence. And that could be the only time other than when you sleep for silence. And, but it's a really nice thing to be able to do is to get away from noise and, and, and to get back into movement. So if you're in the city, a walk is going to be great. It, but it could be a jog. It could be a run. Um, it could be you know parkour or something you know so it might be going into a park and doing some crazy stuff so yeah and uh the beautiful thing about being online now is it's democratization everyone has the power to everything so go jump online see if there is a parkour community out there i know there's an epic one in sydney which i've had a little bit to do with and an amazing group of people but it could be basketball it could totally be tennis right. anything exactly. right yeah. Any, anything moving that makes you feel free and that you really enjoy it's a good thing to do yeah and it's uh, I mean it, it kickstarts the reward mechanisms as well inside the inside the brain there right yeah that's right well it's really important and we'll talk about this tonight at the power of food is to to not um, reward yourself in terms of those reward mechanisms don't reward yourself with food so find other ways in which you're rewarding yourself so the reward mechanism is in fact the fact that you're moving that's the reward um it's it shouldn't be rewarding yourself for moving yeah yeah that's um i mean i used to be a a bodybuilder Mm -hmm. so like a competitive bodybuilder so i i can't remember the point it changed but i didn't enjoy the gym anymore it was like ruling me it was just something the next the next chore i had to do after working 10 hours of physical labor then come in and do like get in the squat rack go on the uh leg press whatever um, and that's, I think a lot of people still see fitness as this chore, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, you activate, if you're doing something you love doing, all of a sudden it's like, well, you've actually got to watch your watch because it's, you've got to leave and then go pick up the kids or whatever, not because it's like, oh, I've only got half an hour left, 29 minutes to go, 28 minutes, you know? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I was just thinking, you know, there's other things that you can do. And, um, and you said the internet. So there's, there's uh, is it? A primal play and paleo movement. Um, yeah, Daryl Edwards. Daryl Edwards. Yeah, you know, so you can yeah. do Daryl stuff. Him I interviewed him um, at Thrive. You know, you would have seen him at Thrive. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. I had so a good chat with him. He was awesome. What a great guy. And um, uh, you know, so there's that, and there's the Erwin Lacour stuff, which is MoveNet. Um, yeah. And then obviously there's the CrossFit stuff. And so there's all of these things, but you can get your workout of the day online and uh, and go and create something for yourself. So it might be that you, you know, if you really want to push it and you want to get fitter instead of just walking, you may choose to do twenty, you know, three sets of twenty burpees, um, and then maybe you know jumping just you know some jumps you know onto a onto a park bench you know it it just could be those sorts of you know you might do three different exercises and do three sets of each of those just to push yourself i find that when i push myself for 90 seconds continuously with one exercise to my limit 
um, that's all I need to do of that particular exercise. So if I'm sprinting for 90 seconds, I'm really happy with that. If I'm lifting weight or if I'm doing push-ups for continuous 90 seconds, I'll punch them out as much as I can. If I'm doing chin-ups, I'll do it for 90 seconds. And, uh, and it appears that if you, like Ben Greenfield talks about this, is doing exercise in 90-second blocks. And, uh, and that seems to work really well too. And, and I feel okay with that. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm actually toying with that idea at the moment. The the like 90 seconds of maximal effort Max. um, to 120 seconds. Yeah, and you just get that massive like endorphin release, and you feel pumped. And I find it's a great way for me just to wake up in the morning. I yeah. do some sprints on the sand and whatever, just to engage. It's not. Um, Is that like max, a, max interval training. Yeah, so yeah. but really short. Like it, yeah. it'll just be like yeah, that minute of sprints, and then maybe just. 90 seconds of burpees or something like boom I'm wide awake now let's go start the day <laughs> that's it right yeah it's nice yeah just you know circuit breakers I don't yeah. like I don't like to use the word hack I don't like using the word I hack. I like that okay the reason why I don't like using hack is because it means that you're taking away or you're finding a way to shortcut the experience okay um and I love to I don't like to hack life oh, you like to delve into it I love to experience I like to be in the flow of life right Ooh. so why would I hack life yeah why would I hack something in life if I'm really wanting to experience life and I want to experience everything in it so i'm going to experience the good the bad i'm not in an, i'm not in any kind of hurry to make things more efficient i'm not in any kind of hurry to make me more productive i, I want to get things done but i want to experience along the way so i'm going to try and hack everything so you know we talk about exercise hacks but i'm talking about exercise circuit breakers so ways in which you can you know, stimulate the body to do different things and to achieve more and enjoy it at the same time not hacking it Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, if something's worth doing, it's worth delving right into. And I appreciate you putting flow in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Cool, man. Well, uh, look, I think we'll wrap it up there. You've got a presentation to prepare for tonight. But where can uh, our listeners find out more about you um, and, and what you're doing? Thanks, Stevie. There's, look, there's a few places people can search for. You can search for DamienChristoff.com. That's D-A-M-I-A-N. And then Christoph is K-R-I-S-T-O-F. So you can search Damien Christoph on Google and lots of things come up. But you go to the wellness guys, you go to the wellnesscouch.com and you can see all the podcasts that I'm part of there. You can look at foragecereal.com and you can get all of that. But if you go to DamienChristoph.com, yeah. it's got links to everything that I'm doing. And, uh, and, and, you know, mate, I haven't written a book. And the reason why I haven't written a book is because I'm still undecided as to what's true and correct. <laughs> and, uh, and so I need to talk, I need to write a book on philosophy as opposed to a book on what is the only way to do it. Yeah. So uh, one day when I've got a book, you'll find it on that site. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to reading it. Maybe it could be like what not to do. Yeah, maybe. But even then that could change. Then that changes, yeah, that right? change, you know. So it could be like you live your life according to philosophy and, uh, and maybe it's about that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, buddy. Uh, thank you very much for our time together today, mate. Bring it in. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, mate. And uh, to everyone at home, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please uh, go on to iTunes and subscribe to uh, uh, <laughs> my apologies to the Flow State Performance Podcast and give us a five-star rating. We do love it. You do have to actually go into the store to to find those five stars and click it you can't just do it from your phone unfortunately and uh yeah check out our blog because we will have a transcript from today's podcast and uh check you guys next time thanks for listening to the flow state performance podcast check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential